Hello everyone and welcome to the Zwift Power Up Cycling Podcast. Matt Rowe here today with an episode talking you through Zwift Academy Road 2021, which has just taken place. There's three of us here today. So firstly, Kristen Armstrong, how are we keeping? Oh, everything's going great. It's great to be back with both of you and I'm really excited to talk about Zwift Academy. Good stuff. Good to be here too with you. And uh, we've got Hendy as well there. Greg, you good? Hey guys. Yeah, no, I'm all good here. Uh, summer's on its way here in New Zealand and um, yeah, I'm ready to crack on and let's have a deep dive into this um, Zwift Academy. They've uh, had some amazing winners in the past and I'm sure we've got another amazing couple of winners for this episode. Absolutely. And um, I think the important thing is what we're going to do today is look at the, the final selection, kind of the, the camp, uh, the, the icing on the cake of, of Zwift Academy. But just to kind of recap really, you know, Zwift Academy, um, it's not just about this final week. It's, you know, the whole, the pathway, the opportunity for thousands for both the, uh, the men and the women. Yeah, this opportunity is, you know, there's some of us who, uh, are going for that big pro contract, whether you're female or male. And then there's others who are really just trying to set new goals, trying to set new baselines, really trying to, to have a, a similar focus. And I think it's neat that there were over 150,000 riders who signed up for the 2021 Swift Academy this year. And, and, and when you think about the end result, you know, you've, it's a pathway. Like you... At the end of the line is a pro contract. And I mean, you know, th- there's not many countries in the world that have a pathway towards a, a, a world tour or a pro contract in a cycling team. And, and this is, Zwift has is, is provided a way for a pro contract. So, you know, I just know for New Zealanders, Australia is, you know, this side of the world, Southern Hemisphere, it's, it is a dream, you know, and they just cannot wait till the next one comes around. Yeah, quality. And obviously that, that's the for, the for the pros and what we're going to talk about mainly today. But just for you know, all, all our listeners out there, I think what we're going to talk about here is just describe and kind of go through some of the key sessions that the Zwift Academy selection camp process is, has taken on. And there's going to be snippets in there that hopefully you can kind of take away and implement yourself um, at home. So we're going to kind of give you a bit of logic and rationale. Um, and it's, you know, al- although the finals are for the aspiring pros, Zwift Academy, as we all, we've all mentioned, it's, it's for everyone. Um, it always has been. So it's a new format as well for 2021 with this kind of X-Factor style elimination where, you know, there's, there's riders that are unfortunately told they haven't quite made it uh, along the way. So it's been a very brutal uh, Zwift Academy this year, uh, Mallorca-based for five days. So what we're going to do is kind of deep dive into a bunch of sessions uh, that the male and female Swift Academy finalists have, have completed. And it all started on a gloomy Monday morning in, in Mallorca, and believe it, Mallorca can be gloomy, um, with some testing um, using the inside testing protocol, Greg. You've had some uh, involvement in it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I know the guy Sebastian Weber, who's uh, who was actually an old coach of mine on in the old T-Mobile days, and he's developed a a tool that can essentially be used in an outdoor outside environment, and um, you know it's kind of an algorithm based on um, multiple data sets from inside a laboratory that he can then you know assimilate 
to results that are given from an FTP test from a VO2 max, like a, a maximal capacity test, a sprint test. So there's, a, there's, there's four tests you do on the bike, and from those four tests and those, those power numbers, um, they can determine an FTP, a VO2 max, a VLA max, and a fat max. A couple of these metrics, a couple of these metrics that you might not have heard of, uh, for example, I mean, everyone's heard of FTP and VO2 max, but VLA max and fat max is probably something, you know, not a lot of people are too aware of. So your VLA max is essentially how well and how quickly you can burn glycogen. Uh, the quicker you burn it, the better for a sprint, uh, a short burst uphill. Um, and that's something, obviously, that's very, very important for your power and sprint type athletes. Your VLA max in the low range is something that your your endurance riders, sorry, your sorry, your um, GC riders, climbers, TTs might want to have a lower um, value. And then your fat max is actually just that number, that wattage between where you are just juggling between um, predominantly still burning fat but carbohydrates are just starting to kick in and it's almost at a 50-50 zone. It's so, so what sort of wattage are you still potentially burning most fat but if you go above that power range you then slip into building, uh, burning your, your carbohydrate stores. So they're basically the, the two that we don't know about. VO2 max is obviously a capacity test and, and we can get you know, a watts per kilogram from that and, and you know, we can do a lot of very, very um, productive interval training from that and FTP we know what that is it's the ability to clear lactate as fast as you're producing lactate so um, and that's done you know there's no golden ticket on how to do that test the test is very similar the one they use and um, so yeah it's just a couple other new ones there that are they're actually quite interesting and um, yeah it can it can potentially categorize you into the type of rider that you might be um, let's just make it clear that it's not a hundred percent obvious that just because you have a high VLA max that you're going to be a sprinter uh, and vice versa but it's just a, an idea that you potentially fit into this category nicely outlined there Greg um, and I think the key takeaway is this is a set of testing to kind of give you no, a bit, a bit of a, a view as to what type of rider you may be. Um, it's not going to categorically define you, and you know you can't, you can't select the Zwift Academy winner on paper off this test. There's far more to it, and that's what we're going to kind of go through the rest of this podcast. Really, is talk about what other sessions kind of con have contributed to enabling the Zwift Academy coaches to select their champions, um, and like like you say as well. It's interesting and, and quite critical that depending on what type of rider you are, these different attributes become more important. You know, if, if you're if you want to do RAM right across America as a, as Rasan recently done, then the likely the most important um, attribute is is your fat max. Um, versus if you're a classics rider, it might be your VO2 max. Um, or if you're you know, a time trialer, it might be FTP. What else you got? Uh, VLA max could be a high VLA max could be sprinter for example so uh, not one size fits all and it's interesting I wonder uh, what type of rider are they looking for from Zwift Academy is it a sprinter is it a climber or is it an all-rounder because I think historically we've had a, a, a lot of similar type of riders I'd say kind of come out of Zwift Academy especially on the men's side I think um, we had a couple of 
sprinters on the on the female side. I guess Tanya Tanya Erath um, being the standout sprinter. Uh, Ella Harris being the climber. But on the men's side, I think we've had a lot of all rounders. Yeah, I think that's a that's a great question because when I think about, um, especially, you know, there's been definitely a, a number of different ages that have been selected as the final academy winner. And so when you think about some of the younger riders, you know, the 18, 19, 20-year-olds, I, I would guess that a team is going to want to develop someone. So they're going to want to have someone that's, that has a skill set that can sit in the pack, that, that has some fuel-burning efficiency, and not necessarily looking at a top GC or a top sprinter quite yet. Um, I think that obviously, as we know, um, being in a European peloton and racing at such a high level right off the bat, it's, it's going to take some some time just to develop that that just basic foundational engine. Definitely. I mean, it's they're, they're such young kids. They're, they're brand new on the scene. Um, and yeah, these are, like like we said, the, the, uh, the inside gives us an indication as to what type of rider they potentially could be. And um, yeah, we could work, they could work on those attributes during a season with a coach to, to head in the right direction if they make the world tour selection. Is that exactly mad? Look, look at the world of cycling. Like on the men's side, the Tour de France being won by, you know, Pogaccio and Bernal recently, young, really young. Um, but then we've always been told and kind of science would tell us that, you know, cyclists, their endurance abilities get, get better with age. I mean, you, you two are great examples now of being, you know, super strong world, world-class athlete, athletes Old, as you, as you get, I'll be careful with my words here, as you were slightly towards the older end of the spectrum, maybe. Maturing, um, <laughs> or maturing. Yeah, that's mature. more mature. I like it, yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's one of those that I think the, the traditional mould of, of bike riders is changing. Um, but, and it's, I guess it's also quite, you know, quite important that these youngsters, all right, they get given opportunity of a lifetime, uh, especially the younger winners of Swift Academy, opportunity of a lifetime, you know, they need good guidance, right? And it's easy for a 19, 18, 19, 20-year-old to just kind of get burned out and exposed to too much too soon. Um, and I think that's what Zwift Academy is great at, kind of finding very solid homes um, for these for these winners. Yeah, you see that, you know, historically, you have someone like Ella Harris who has fit in perfectly with Team Canyon SRAM. Um, she's been on there since 2019. She's still on the team. And I think that is kind of a, exactly hitting the point that you're you're making is that there's so many different pieces to this puzzle meaning okay so we have a strong rider we have someone who has grit and resilience strong character and then you have to bring them in a team and they have to be well accepted within the team and so obviously there's just so many different aspects and different things to consider whereas some of the um, past Swift, Swift Academy winners um, have had a contract for maybe one year so I think that you'll see the the variability. And as we all know, I mean, it doesn't mean that they're a great writer or not such a great writer. It just means that we all have a different culture and also a different environment that we thrive in. And so most of the riders are still racing, which is great. Um, but sometimes you just have to move around to find your home. Yep, absolutely. And just before we move on to one of the other sessions, just coming back to the, the different stats that we kind of pulled out from this inside um, testing protocol. Obviously, a lot of these riders, the Zwift Academy finalists, are, are young. And I'm sure if we tested these riders in five years, they're, you know, they're relative to each other, their strengths and weaknesses will probably you know, may well change after being exposed to kind of more racing as you develop your aerobic engine kind of just yeah, 
develops through through age and kind of hours and time and years on the bike um you're going to get a very different type of type of rider um so let's step through uh, we've got a couple of sessions that we're gonna we're gonna call out um i think this the skills-based endurance ride you know we've kind of alluded to the fact that you can't be a pro bike rider off doing some some testing protocols when super fresh there's more to it and i think this skills-based endurance ride where riders you know do practice echelons descending taking bottles paceline riding lead outs all this type of stuff plays a vital role yeah it's, it's i think it's a fantastic idea it's um because you know you we always come across these watt monsters we call them that can jump on zwift and just smash out these watts per kilogram but as we all know if you want to take that step in the pro ranks there's so much more to bike racing and uh we often joke about it on on the teams now is it's not about how many watts you can do it's how little watts you can do so for the same day for the same speed Mm -hmm. how little watts can you do and yeah exactly things like descending comfortably um uh, hiding in a peloton rotating through an echelon you know in the gutter um yeah even the art of taking bottles from the car you know some guy i've seen guys spend five minutes beside the car trying to fill themselves up with bottles and i've seen guys spend 30 seconds and their their backs and their their cages are full and away they go so all these things you know over a four hour five hour race add up and then you add it up over a week and then you add up you know over a grand tour all these things they accumulate and there's accumulated fatigue so i think it's a great idea to find out exactly how they how they cope in those situations because there's obviously very limited time for these riders to learn it's almost like you know if you've got to you're, you're a physically good athlete you know, to get to the finals of Zwift Academy you are physically good um, but you need to be really rounded because next thing you know you've got your contract and next next February March you're racing big races uh, with experienced riders who can do all this stuff so if you can't ride in an echelon pop out the back you go so um, yeah in, in, interesting stuff you mentioned obviously I'm presuming, Greg, a lot of these skills are practiced on, on the training camp with Israel Startup Nation. Things like, you know, echelon ride and even, you know, even the best established pro bike riders still practice this stuff. Oh, absolutely. It's, um, and it's, to be fair, it's actually a really good exercise through and off, you know. It's like, because the power on the wheel is not as high as soon as you hit the front, the power increases. So it's, it's actually a really good training session too, and it just gets you in sync it gets you at to race pace too because handling your bike through corners round roundabouts at race pace is totally different to when you're just cruising along at 30 k's an hour so it's all these little things even though it's it is a session through and off in a cross in a crosswind or whatever to hide and get protection there's so many other facets to to what you're learning in a, in a pace line that um and again, how to how to save energy in a pace line? You might be on the limit, so how do you actually go through without slowing the pace line down, but saving as much energy as possible? So, so there's all these little tricks you learn along the way, and um, yeah, it's a really it's a really good training exercise, and, and of course we, we we still do it at uh, at, the, at the world tour level. Go on then, Greg. Hit the front. So it's your turn. The rider in front of you peels off. It's your turn. How do you? How do you execute a turn on the front? So the trick, I, if the guy on front of me is like super strong and has, and you're just about on the limit on his wheel because you know you get more slipstream the further back down the, the chain you go. And I used to always, if the guy in front of me was just mega strong, 
I would just, just like my old sprinted ways, I would just back off the wheel by like a bike length, uh, not a bike length, like a wheel length. And because you can tell when he's going to pull off because he's either going to swap over in the front of the guy in front of you. So you'd actually take a little run at the wheel in the slipstream and then you just get in your most aero position and pedal through and off. So you can actually save so much energy but instead of being hard, hard on the wheel, just let it go one wheel length and then you've got a wheel length of acceleration in slipstream and then it'll get you halfway past the guy and then you've actually only got to pass half a bike length and that was that was the trick I used to use when I had like a rocket ship in front of me. That, that was must have been fairly frequent then Greg, you know, <laughs> wide as <laughs> super strong. Um, and you, you see it on the track, on the, on the velodrome, you know, the, the track sprinters, this kind of slingshot, kind of riding into the gap and rushing a rider. It's kind of a mini, mini version of that, isn't it? You just rush in your, your teammate or whoever's in front of you just to kind of, um, yeah, add, accelerate in the slipstream. So like it, Greg, like it, Greg. Um, echelons as well, obviously another key um, skill that the guys have been practicing and guys and girls have been practicing on Zwift Academy. Uh, I, I imagine you, would, you, Kristen, would have done some damage in some echelons on, on the front of echelons, putting a lot of riders in pain. Yeah, it was one of my favorite tactics. Um, you know, one of the things being from the United States, and um, Greg, you can attest to this, we have quite large roads um, in America. So just that transition of racing on what we would call like American roads <laughs> and then going to Europe and having goat paths because <laughs> most of the time when um, we would be studying a, a classics one day course, we would have to memorize exactly. We would always be looking at the wind speeds on what direction that's coming from and making sure that if you want to make that selection in that top 10, top 20, when you make a left-hand turn, Obviously, you have to make sure that, you know, if that's going to be a section of crosswinds or cross tailwinds, um, when not to go, such as, you know, a direct headwind when it kind of flares out in front of you. And so these are all things that um, it's one thing about having the engine on paper, but gosh, I am super impressed on how um, pro tour teams can can make decisions in just a short amount of time in, in a camp like in Majorca because obviously when I first started my career I was either on the front or on the back and then I would have the to total what we call the you know the washing machine or the the flushing of the toilet I would go up and I all of a sudden I'd be like how am I at the back of this peloton again <laughs> and it just takes time but I think that we also know it's sometimes not just time, but it's also having permission in the Peloton. It's almost like a rite of passage. People let you up there once you've accomplished certain things. And I think that it's safe to say, as a female, if you're part of Canyon SRAM, you are going to get a little bit more leeway to come up. Whereas when I would come over in my national jersey, they would be like, USA, get out of the way. <laughs> you don't belong here. <laughs> and so um, there's just so many so many different pieces and um, one of the best pieces of advice that I was always given is you have the strength, you have the physical ability, now learn to race your bike. Mm -hmm. Because when mm -hmm. I entered into the pro peloton, it was almost like I was entering into a brand new sport. It wasn't just about putting and hammering down on the pedals as Greg has, it, has mentioned. It's about the finesse. It's about hanging out into that slipstream. Um, we used to have these competitions within our team of who within a one day race in a stage race 
can finish with the least amount of kilojoules burned because we knew that we were all pretty much the same size and in, in that those who were most efficient would have the lowest number. So sometimes we would we would do things like that when we're trying to, to save ourselves for maybe that, that big, um, uh, you know, hilly day. So um, again, the echelon, yes, I use that quite a bit, especially in Holland. And um, it's just, you know, being in a key environment where you're going to be surrounded by teammates and leaders that are going to help you along the way and not just assume that you know these things. Yep. Interesting. Good, good points there, Kristen. And I think, I think first impressions are massive as well. Now, for these Rift Academy winners, they're going to step into big races with established riders. And you know, if, if, you're, if you're slow on descents, let's say, you know, if you're holding riders up, your card's marked. You know, you, you'll find riders dive bombing you before this descent starts to get ahead of you. They're just not, not, not quite that respect. But if you're that rounded bike rider, you, know, you're, you're, you can hold your own on the descent. You're not going to drop a wheel. You can you know, f- follow through and hold position in, in, in the echelon. You're just going to find, I think life is a, it might be extreme to say, but life as a pro just become a lot, lot easier. Um, just kind of, you've got that bit of respect, you're established um, and just, you know, you're prepared to give other riders a bit of space and in return, they'll give you, you space. And I think that's, that's true for anyone who rides a bike. If you've gone, gone to join like a new group ride, you'll, you'll probably be quite conscious that you know, you've joined this new group ride. People will be kind of just sussing you out, just figuring out, you know, is this, is this rider any good or they or do I need to give them a wide berth? Am I okay? Am I confident to kind of ride through and off with them or you know, do we not want that, 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 that rider around? Um, so, you know, just, yeah, add in, add in more to this, um, you know, being able to ride a bike is, is more than just producing big, big power. Um, and I think this, uh, this skills-based endurance ride, just to kind of finish it off, fatigue accumulation, you know, it's all well and good being able to produce, um, you know, good results, big power, on on Zwift, you know, Zwift races, you know, 30, 40 minutes, um, you know, Zwift sessions even that are you know fairly, fairly even a long session might be an hour and a half. It's very different to be able to produce a similar type of efforts after you know three, four, five hours of bike riding, uh, which is obviously the demands of racing. That's what kind of world, world tour racing uh, in, involves. So um, yeah, fatigue accumulation. I think that's another key role that these long endurance rides. Uh, play along of course with you mentioned it Kristen grit and resilience you know that ability to suffer you know this, this isn't table tennis this is bike riding um, tough tough sport and you're out there on your own although it's a team sport I think it can feel very lonely at times can't it you know in the middle of a of a, a four hour race and you're, you're halfway you're suffering in the line it can be can be lonely and I think you've got to have that you know, grit that tenacity and just that ability to just keep your head down keep going and not falter and I think you know on a in a one day selection environment riders can kind of mask mask that and um, you can kind of come across you can kind of put up a put on a brave face and kind of but in, in, a, in a five day training camp environment where it's intense um, I don't think there's any hiding I think uh, you know the ultimately the cream rises to the top well, one of the nice things that happened, I mean, obviously we think of Mallorca as being this beautiful place to go train. You're going to get sunshine. But you mentioned earlier that there was quite a bit of weather. And we talk a lot about how, okay, they went in and they did an indoor session instead. And uh, obviously on Wednesday, the weather, the, the weather cleared out and they were able to do some of these skill sessions. But it sounds like on um, the day two that 
it was quite heavy rain and the winds were significant. And so they did take an opportunity to go out in a couple of different groups and, and see how people responded. How, did, how were they prepared? Could they actually even ride in the rain and the winds? And so it was almost like a blessing for the decision makers <laughs> um, yeah. because we know that, um, you know, Greg being a, a director now, it, there's nothing better than it pouring rain and finally as a director, you sit in the car and you're like, <laughs> don't have to ride today <laughs> but it's just part of bike racing Rachel. those are the days where uh, i remember running in and you know grabbing those um uh winter mitts that i i would have to buy so that i can just toss them halfway through the race so that i wouldn't freeze to death or you know those feelings of you know not being able to break because you couldn't feel your hands anymore that's bike racing those are the times that you quit many times over in one day so i, I i'm happy to see that that these riders, um, it just, the conditions came and they had to show how they handled that. So talking about some of the indoor riding, I think the yeah, Zwift Academy, the, the final in Mallorca, there was more indoor riding than probably originally planned because, because of the weather. Um, and one session was a points slash elimination race that was done, I think on the Tuesday afternoon. Um, and obviously just you know putting these riders head to head it's kind of the, the, the purest form of battle, isn't it? And I think it's a chance to kind of look at look at tactics, you know, the, the way riders think. In this indoor uh, racing environment, do, do, do riders think and adjust their tactics if their original approach is failing? Now, obviously, that's the definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. Are the, how, how dynamic are these bike riders? And not, not remembering that the next step after... You know, winning Zwift Academy is you're in pro bike races next year. You need to be dynamic. You need to be more than just this what monster. Um, and I think you know being able to observe tactics um, and, and the ability to suffer. You know, we talk about grit and resilience. What is your ability to suffer? A perfect opportunity to see um, when you know, you, you, the coaches can observe riders in front of them on Zwift, nowhere to hide. What I liked about it was um, they had a morning session also, and it was only two, mm. two and a half hours. And it doesn't seem like much, but it actually it actually does deplete the muscle glycogen a little bit, you know. And sure, they probably replace most of it. Um, but the fact that they're also turning up to this race in a semi-fatigued state is also a good thing also. So it shows, you know, a little bit of... A little bit of their endurance capacity, yeah, their aerobic capacity, and then for a points race, again, we're looking at repeatability. Okay, how many times can we go flat stick and recover and go flat stick? And yeah, you can see there was different tactics employed by by different people. Um, a couple of long bombs uh, that seemed to work. Um, I guess everybody else looking at each other. Well, I'm not chasing because if I chase, it's going to cost me energy, and then you'll pass me for second place. So so the long bomb worked for the lads, and then there was a the, the girl, uh, the, um, what's her name, Ord? Maud. 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 The girl Maud, she was just seems like she was had everything under control. She just kept an eye on her on her competitors, and she knew that her peak power and her ability to to accelerate for you know 15, 20 seconds was greater than her opponents so she just rode within her abilities and that's kind of what you have to do in cycling is you have to know your abilities you have to know what you're good at and ride to those strengths and you can see that in both of those events um the two riders that won them rode to their strengths 
Absolutely. I think Maud, you know, she is an, a, 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 on paper here an outstanding athlete. And you look at her, um, the stats we've got, her FTP, her VO2 max, uh, fat max, you know, she's knocking it out of the park. So it's good, good to see that, um, you know, she was also strong in the skills-based endurance ride, but also, um, you know, done, done well in the points elimination race. And I guess, you know, one, one half you think, well, that's not surprising because she's physically the best anyway. Um, but she was able to, you know, replicate it once the fatigue is set in um, and, and still do well. So uh, that, was, that, was, that was good to see. And obviously by, by the time um, we get to the end of the, the camp, there's a, there's a lot of fatigue has kicked in. You know, there's two, two final sessions I think we should touch upon. The, the, the two race replication or race efforts. So there was one up Sakalobra. So a very, very famous climb in Mallorca. Um, and from the top, it looks like you know someone's chucked some spaghetti down the side of a mountain. That's that's the road, literally twisting, turning. Um, it's a dead end at the bottom, so you've got to ride down it, observe the beautiful scenery as you're going down, and then stop and then face that, that climb back up. It's a beautiful climb. Um, I'm sure the finalists didn't quite appreciate the scenery when they raced up it. Um, but this was a race. I think the, the, the men raced the whole way up and then the women done the last last three and a half K or so. Um, and this, yeah, race efforts. You know, racing is racing. You know, how deep can you go? Are you, are you a racer or a trainer? You know, are, you, are you a tester or are you a racer? I think come race, race day, some riders can just find that extra few percent. Others train at their best and have no more to give come race day. I think the ability to kind of be good in training, kind of absorb it, uh, all, all that training, training stress, all that fatigue, but then being able to freshen up um, and kind of just, not necessarily freshen up, but switch on come race day and just turn yourself inside out that little bit extra. That's a really important attribute i think i think the, a lot of the world's best bike riders possess I, I tell you that that test to me was probably one of the best because it was done blind meaning no computers no power mm. there was it was absolutely how do i race this because this day and age every athlete owns a power meter and it can almost psychologically become a governor you see 550 watts and you go oh man i can't do this for for you know the climb might be 3k i can't do this and so you psychologically know this and think i'm beaten but then you take that off and you're just going on feel and you're like all i have to do is beat these guys and hang on for dear life and and race so i think that's great and that just shows the racer and the person you know you've got you don't you know you're going hard of course you do you know you're going flat stick but you know you don't know if you're doing 460 or 560 or 660 it's it doesn't matter all you have to do is hang on to that attack for as long as you possibly can whereas you might see 460 go, oh gee i've got to back off now because if i don't back off right now i'm going to explode and it's yeah it's become a modern day tool that everyone uses very very well in training and of course there's been teams that use it very very well in the tour de france um um you know, knowing the capacity of other riders, other teams, they know what power they can do that no one can actually attack them on. But to test riders, to test their racing ability, their their gut, their determination, you know, their ability to just to you know fight like a mongrel to the finish, take the power away, take the heart rate away. First man to the top wins. I don't care how you get there. Let's race. I think that's fantastic. 
Yeah, I think it, it shows a lot. And also, you know, when you talk about riding three hours prior to the climb and, you know, it doesn't matter if it's a 10 minute race or a 20 minute race for the men, but um, it also shows not just on that day, but um, the three days prior to how were you fueling your body? Because we know mm. that it doesn't matter again if it's 10 minutes or a final five minutes, if you haven't fueled yourself properly, then you're going to lose a lot of time. And that means hydration, that means fueling, but that doesn't mean just on the day, that means the accumulation over time, have you recovered properly? And so, as we know, when you get to those, that, that pro level, when people ask all the time, they go, oh, you know, um, what should I do physically? What should I do with my, you know, with my nutrition? And you kind of want to look at them as like, gosh, everyone at that level, you need to have it figured out. Like that's just, everything else is what we need to work on now. And so this also, um, I'm, I'm guarantee you this showed who was fueled properly uh, towards the end of that, that day. And I'm sure there's a lot of regrets from these riders because I, I will remember personally finishing races where I've gotten dropped and I get so upset with myself for not fueling to the max. I always think fueling, if you, if you get it wrong, you know, that, that's, it's really... It's, it's basic, isn't it? I mean, you do all the hard work, all the hard training. Uh, really, the easy bit is putting some food in your mouth or, and, and drinking some carb drink. Um, so you're doing the hard bits. And people get too focused sometimes on this you know, marginal gains and kind of getting the extra couple of percent. Get the basics right. So you go out for a training ride, come back, get out of your chamois as quick as you can, have a shower, have, get your shake down you and, and, and fuel and let that recovery process start. And I think on a training camp environment for, you know, for most people who are listening to this, they can probably relate to, you get back from your ride, you get back, you have, have a chat, you sat around in a chamois, you know, chamois times, training time and all that good good banter. Um, it's not though, is it? It's not really training time. It's, um, it's wasted recovery time. So get back, shower, get out of it um, and yeah, start that recovery process and you know it's um those riders who have been switched on from day one finish a session bit of a cool down um yeah start start recovery perhaps snuck a snuck a little nap in there somewhere in the afternoons though those little extra kind of efforts and attention to detail for recovery and preparation will be showing in these race efforts and uh yeah i think it's um just looking at the, the winners our overall winners alex and maud were the two winners on the on the Sakalopa climbs, uh, which is quite quite telling. And also, just a, just a side note there, nutrition has come a long way in the last five or six years. Like, just with with gut mobility and, and gut tolerance, um, you've got so many products out there now that cater to to the different gastric emptying rates of, of different athletes because you know some people can tolerate some people have got cast iron guts mate and they can just chuck anything down and, and that, that'll convert to fuel whereas <laughs> you know some guys are like super sensitive to this and then next thing they go too hard and they'll vomit it up or they'll diarrhea so there's so many so many variabilities to to nutrition nowadays and then and then the other thing I was going to point out is there are times when you know ideally the latest studies out are saying it's better to fuel 200 mils every 20 minutes than it is to fuel uh, 50 mils every five minutes. So that's very often small amount is actually better a slightly larger dose every 20 minutes. Um, you know, given on a, a 
perfect temperature and a perfect race and perfect race scenario. So what I was going to point out was, let's say, for example, you're starting a stage of the Tour de France that begins on an uphill. There's Honestly, there's an hour there where I have not touched or even thought about or even looked at a drink because I've just literally been on the limit following the rear hub of someone in front of me to just try and hang on for dear life. And you're just all of a sudden emptying all your reserves that you've got stored as glycogen in your muscles. And yes, and now there's actually products that have huge amount of carbohydrate in their drinks, you know, the huge mixes of that you can actually then start to replace quite quickly and are tolerable on the stomach. You could do it in the old days, but 99% of the cha- 99% of the time you had disaster pants if you if you tried to gullet down that many <laughs> calories in that short amount of time. So what I'm so in short, there are so many products out there now that are so so comfortable on on the gut. So your gastric emptying is is so much faster and so much more efficient that yeah there is no real excuse to to mess up nutrition nowadays. Um, and you know speaking with a lot of the athletes that I coach and and the lot of athletes that I, I I train and race with in uh, in Israel, Startup Nation, yeah they'll say exactly the same thing. Nutrition has changed the game. And you know a lot of people ask how are these people so much faster now? Why is the racing so much faster? Like training really hasn't changed a lot. And I put a lot of it down to nutrition. Like everybody knows how now to fuel themselves. Everyone knows how important it is to fuel themselves. And there's products out there for everyone, whatever sort of guts you've got, sensitive or cast iron, there are products available for everyone. And and yes, it is a trial and error. Um, you'll have to find and, and use these products in training, but it is so key to racing these days that it's it's worth honestly it's worth the time and it's worth the effort because it will transform your cycling yeah don't 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 disagree greg i think uh, nutrition and aerodynamics kind of the awareness of how important being aero is is that's the, those those two are the big big changes in the last uh, in recent years i mean i look at photos um of, of you know the pro peloton 15 15 years ago you know there's baggy jerseys all over the show um and, and now you look at the peloton and everyone's racing in skin suits i know you were kind of leading that that, that charge greg and part of that uh that kind of fashion fashion statement um that, that you made was it Paris nice when you wore that skin suit Paris yeah. nice 2010 yeah. So it wasn't that long, well 12, 12 years ago. I mean, we were using um, them in we were using them in criteriums and and you know maybe small club race and things like that. But the first World Tour race to, to use you know that was two hundred and ten k's or something, and they I asked them can can I have my TT skin suit please? And they were looking at me like I was mad because I knew it was fast. And um, yeah, it was the same. I was like, it was freezing cold first stage of Paris Nice and. Um, but you know, I had a race jersey over the top and a, a thermal gilet. But at 60 k's to go, I unloaded all my clothes. So it was the last 60 k's, I was just in full skin suit. And you, the, the amount of the amount of food that you need, you know, people ask me, where did you carry your food? Well, for the first 140, 150 k's, I ate normally out of pockets or the car. But for the last 60, you can just tuck two or three gels in your sleeves or on on your quads. Yep. So it's not like I had to carry, you know, 
200 k's worth of food in, in a skin suit and yeah what a, what a difference and then and then from then on sky went and made us a skin suit with two pockets in the back and and um yeah from that day like the, the next race we did was the giro and wiggins and myself we rode literally we rode our pocketed skin suit for the whole giro mountain stage you know any stage we had we had these skin suits on because they were just so fast nice 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 and you look at you know the amateur scene now everyone knows when you when you get on the front when you're traveling fast and you want to kind of rip it just to kind of try and make your front end as small as possible just kind of squeeze your shoulders and get your head down you know roll your arms in a little bit everyone everyone knows what to do it's it's just common knowledge um and yeah aerodynamics has been a massive massive game 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 changer and of course wheels you know, and bikes they just they all look you know big fat tubes thick deep wheels because everyone's you know the manufacturers are you know constantly banging on about the you know how how important aero, aero, being aero is um, and i think that's one thing on on zwift is it's all what's peculiar isn't it and I think the in real life riding and uh, enables riders, um, you know, in the real world, what actually matters is how fast you can travel on a bicycle. And that's what, again, I think through the process and what we've explained through today's podcast, it, it just helps showcase all these other attributes. Because um, you, may, you may be really tall, um, but if, you, if, you can, if you're super flexible and you can really curl yourself into a really aerodynamic position, that wouldn't reflect well. On, on Zwift um, but in the real world where pro bike races take place obviously you know your flexible structure is uh, yeah counts as something yeah everyone's now looking at also you know we've exaggerated and we've exhausted those areas so now it's crank length now it's now it's tyre rolling resistance tyre pressures so it, there's there's no stone being left unturned no exactly so guys, um, probably a congratulations just to, just to wrap up to our to our winners. Um, you guys are probably better at pronouncing their names than me, so I'll throw you under the bus and leave you guys to pronounce their names if you don't mind. Well, the female winner is Maud Oddman, and um, she is a Dutch rider, which I have no question she's going to be super successful. Um, I haven't met a Dutch rider who doesn't know how to ride a bike <laughs> and so they grow up on bikes I think it's a perfect fit she comes from the sport of triathlon the only tip I have for Mott is to make sure you wear your socks make sure you have more than one strap on your shoe because <laughs> and we don't wear numbers on our calves um, but other than that you're going to be welcome into the peloton no no problem and, and for the men good luck Maud good luck Maud absolutely and for the men Alex Bogner um, big shoes to fill mate straight into the shoes of Jay Vine we know how successful that young fella's been, and and absolutely, it's um it's a big ask to move into the pro peloton, but you're in a team, a fantastic team that really knows how to develop and look after riders, and um you're going to have a great time. It's it's a great fun team. I know a lot of the directors on there. I know a lot of the riders. Yeah, they've got some big superstars, but you know what? If you listen and learn, you know. You're going to have a great time, and with the with the power and the and the ability that you have, once you learn the intricacies of of bike racing, you're going to have a fantastic time, mate. Well done. Just before we sign off, guys, I just want uh, just to quickly say, and I'm sure you guys will totally agree with me, just because you didn't win this academy, 
doesn't mean that's the cycling career over. You know, don't ever think for a second. I mean, you've made the finals, you know, you've made the top five and obviously the coaches and, and, and the whatnot that decided the winners just saw little weaknesses somewhere that, that I'm sure they relayed to you that you might have to work on. Go home, go and work on those things because you're in the top five in the world basically considering how many athletes um, you know, entered this competition. So don't think for a minute just because you didn't win, that's your cycling career over. Like really, really, you're all amazing riders. So please, I beg you, carry on with your cycling. You're great bike riders. And who knows, you could maybe enter it next year and have a crack at it or find another way to race um, competitively and professionally. It's, it's definitely not the end of the road is basically what I want to say. Beautifully said, Greg. I'm going to leave it there. I can't add anything more. Good to chat to you both. Right on. Thank you. Cheers, guys. Nice to chat.